Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Well, that's wonderful. Did you guys enjoy having an unplugged worship time together? That's fun. That's fun. Beth was like, hey, I have a, Beth was the one here in the center. uh, And she, she was like, hey, she told me like a week and a half ago, I have a great idea for the Sunday I'm leading worship. And I was like, oh, what's the idea? And then she didn't tell me the idea. And I was like, hi, I see you, Beth, over there. Come on. But I really, really loved it because when you, when you strip away the sound, which is the enhancement of a, of a thing, right, uh, what you're left with is the very real, organic worship of a community. And this community really, really loves God, and so uh, that's no problem for us, you know. Uh, maybe some of you aren't so comfortable with your voice because it's not good. Uh, <laughs> come on. So I kind of like, you know, or I'm really close, and so they hear me, but then you don't hear me, and that's an excellent place to be. So I really, really love you guys, really love God, and I'm, I'm glad we can come together every single week uh, and celebrate God, magnify God in this community. Uh, I really, I really, really love God. So the, the series we've been on is a, a series focused on the blood of Jesus and the effect it has on our life. Uh, we've been mirroring that in a discipleship. A journey as well. So there's a podcast, there's sermons, and those are available on all of our media platforms. You can engage in those and they're to partner with your journey of transformation. And there's a lot of learning and growing, but the, the key here is that we're really focused on transformation. Uh, knowledge additions aren't bad, but the goal of adding knowledge is for us to become more like our Father in heaven. And so that's our partnership as uh, leaders or preachers or teachers in this community is to be able to uh, give information and inspiration uh, on this journey of becoming like Jesus. And so we're, we're focusing this study out of Ephesians 1, uh, and today it's going to be a strong focus on verse 9 and verse 10, and it's going to stem into a couple other verses in Colossians 1 uh, as well and in um, Ephesians 4.11. Um, but right now we're going to focus on 9 and 10, um, and we've been talking about a lot of things the last four weeks, right? And this is the fifth week of talking and discussing uh, this narrative, <clears throat> and uh, the focus has been really clearly on the redemption uh, that comes through the blood of Jesus. In him, we have redemption uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, uh, <clears throat> and when you see this effect of redemption, that comes through the blood of Jesus, you see it as not only a wiping of your sins, but also this grace as it talks about being lavishly applied upon us uh, or to us, it actually makes known to us the mystery of his will. So grace is not just something, and the blood of Jesus is not just something that wipes out sin, but it's actually something also that builds us up in Christ's virtues. Uh, And that's the beautiful part about God is that he doesn't only eliminate bad, He also builds up good. Uh, You and I only have a certain degree of ability to be like Jesus on our own merit and strength. So we need a supplement of God's grace uh, in order for us to be like him in fullness. And so when you see the work of God's blood and grace in your life, you shouldn't only see a redaction of sin and a wiping out of sin, 
but you should also see a build up of God's skills in you, especially in areas that you are not naturally gifted or strong. Uh, can you recognize the areas where you are weak to behave like God? It's a character flaw. It's a, ge it's a genetic deficiency. Uh, none of us were born with a perfect composition, exactly structured like Christ's composition. Uh, so we really do need to lend to the fullness of Christ in order for us to be the fullness of Christ. And this is a reality that we will carry for the rest of our life, and it's an exciting one because it creates a relationship with Jesus that's very intimate, uh, that's very close, and that needs to be following him very closely, and that needs to be lockstep with Jesus. So we're going to focus today on what this uh, administration or this plan of Jesus does, what it looks like, and then how it creates unity. Uh, does anybody have a good taste in their mouth for administration? You hear the word administration, you're like, that sounds super exciting, let me get in there. Is there some people do and some people don't. How many of you have a real bad taste in your mouth for administration and it's not exciting for you, it's not fun for you? That's wonderful. I don't want to reveal my confession to you about where I'm at. You might have heard it before. <clears throat> yes. So, but I want to bring you to Ephesians 1, 9 through 10 because it begins to bring our attention to something that's really important. And um, it, it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him. And I covered a little bit of this last week. The mystery of his will is revealed by an application of God's grace. So as a reminder, if you're looking for what God's will is for your life, learn to become a really great receiver of his grace. Become a great receiver of his grace. And so it makes, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, uh, this is in Jesus regarding his plan of the fullness of the time to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. So this word there regarding his plan, in another translation, you actually see it as, uh, this, this is how it reads in another translation. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which, which he purposed in him with the view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So this is a plan and God has a plan for our life. We see that in Jeremiah 29, uh, 11. And, and you can actually see it as perfect administration. And it doesn't only include you, the individual, it also includes you, the individual in the context of everybody else that he has a plan for. So when he is enacting a plan for my life, it is actually very much in harmony with the plan that he has for Jessica's life. And that if we're truly being shaped by Jesus, our unity is actually increased through this transformation process. Because we are reconciled to Jesus and there is unity that is achieved in that reconciliation pattern. So if you, take, uh, if you take your life and you don't change at all, you resist all of God's efforts to transform you, then you're gonna be a piece that's really difficult to find unity with because you've refused the transformation journey that makes you very capable of being unified with others. Somebody who refuses a transformation journey with Jesus, gets they remain really bad at forgiveness. 
They remain really bad at letting go of offense. And so this person's incredibly difficult to find unity with because when there's any error, it's over. It's over. So you can see that the journey with Jesus, and as you become more like Jesus, and you forgive like Jesus, and you let go of offense like Jesus, that you actually have the potential to be connected to others in a greater way than if you weren't like him. So when we are actually trying to focus on unity, a lot of times we make our a focus and our attention about us getting closer to others, but I would actually encourage a different direction. My direction would be if pay attention and get really, really good at getting reconciled to Jesus, and you'll see as you and I are getting closer to Jesus, we are getting closer to one another. Isn't that exciting? It's like going to the same, if like being on different sides of the country and moving to like Montana or something more in the middle, you know what I mean? It's you just both, both polar opposites are moving to the middle. Both polar opposites are moving towards Jesus. And then you're like, man, I hated that person when I first got saved, but now I'm getting a little closer to Jesus and they don't seem so bad. Their ideas were really stupid when I first got saved. But now that I spent some time with Jesus, I don't want to tell them they're right, but they're right. So we're going to keep it a secret between you and I. So we start to have this process of transformation with Jesus. We all become more like him every single day. And then we find ourselves actually fitting better with others in the body of Christ. Because this is his design, is that he brings all these things together in Christ. He brings them all together in Christ. I have a scripture for you in Colossians 1, and it's 13 through 23. We're not going to read all of it because that's quite a lot of verses, and I've got some other ones to get to. So we're going to really be focusing in 18. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't have a cough or anything. But I want to start in 13, and then I want to jump to 18. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So again, it recovers this narrative of redemption, the forgiveness of sins, which we have been harping on in Ephesians 1. We've been harping on it and harping on it because it's an important narrative to become foundational for our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. Redemption and the forgiveness of sins is critical to having a blessed relationship with people, to having a peaceable relationship with people. And so when we recognize this is the actual power of the administration of God, is that it transfers us to this administration, to this administration. So getting transferred from a really crummy job, like one that's really crummy, evil, evil corporate mindsets, you know, really, really bad management, sick, nasty, toxic, all the worst things that you could think in that administration. Uh, and then it actually transfers you to the best job you could ever imagine. One that sees you perfectly, but doesn't only see you perfectly, but also uh, speaks to growth in you in the most perfect and beautiful way. One that believes in you, but is also accurate in understanding what your weaknesses are and where you need help. One that calls you to humility, but also supplies to you 
all of the thing that a humbled creature needs, which is a great, great amount of God's grace. So this word plan, in Ephesians 1.10, this plan or administration, right, regarding his plan of the fullness of the time, or to, to view, uh, with a view to an administration suitable, it's, um, if you read the translation on this and the definition of it, it's the management of a household or of household affairs. So what do we see here? We see that God actually, when you get saved, uh, the purpose is not only like, hey man, you are now uh, forgiven of your sins and you're going to heaven. You got a ticket to heaven. Come on, that's awesome, right? But this isn't the only reality that's taking place. In fact, what Jesus is doing to you is he is moving you out of the house of sin, flesh, and or of the things of Satan. He's moving you out of that house and he's placing you into his house of God, his dwelling place. Now, what's interesting about this house is it's not actually a democracy. This house doesn't have votes from the kids. You know, when my friends, they tell me they're gonna, they're gonna move and some of them are in here, I told them, I say, hey, listen, do I get, do I get a vote? You know what I mean? Because if I get a vote, I vote no to my friends moving. Always. It's always going to be a no. Uh, just in jest, of course. And then we ask God what he thinks uh, very begrudgingly. And then sometimes it's like, yeah, they're right. God's moving them. Um, but then we pray real hard for them to move back. You know what I mean? Like, why ever God took them away, let them move back. You know what I mean? Take them back here. So we, we, we see, though, that this household of God is not run by us. Even the most mature amongst us, even the most heroic amongst us, does not have a dictatorship or a lordship in that house of God. We may, we may in our own human short-sightedness, give lordship to some humans around us, like Israel asked of Samuel, the mouthpiece of God, or an oracle of God, a prophet of God for them. They asked him for a king, a human that they could place lordship responsibility on, and then God was like, actually, this is not the design. I'm supposed to be your king. I'm supposed to be your Lord. So we have this same error in culture that takes place now, right? Is that we place our lordship on human beings around us rather than placing it on God himself. So you've been transferred from the domain of darkness and you've been transferred into the kingdom of his son. This is a shift in lordship. This is a shift in leadership. <coughs> and it brings us into the house of God, which is under his administration, which places us appropriately in a room or visits different places in the house. And, and this is how God does Christianity. This is how he does community. This is how he does the different pieces that we are all in the body of Christ is he has a household governing leadership that he enacts upon us. Now, the question to ask is, since you've uh, experienced a mixed bag of leadership in your life, some good, some bad, some abusive, some toxic, some great. Since you've experienced a mixed bag, and so some of you might actually be like, I haven't experienced a mixed bag. I've experienced one bag and it's all bad. Even, even more so the case then. <clears throat> this entire concept requires us to really ask ourselves, are we gonna trust our how, are we gonna trust our lives 
under the administration of God. If you have a history of being abused in that, if you have a history of uh, being robbed in that or being enslaved in that, then you might find that while your mind says, yeah, I could trust God, your heart is saying, I don't think I could trust anybody with my life. So I'm gonna maintain, I have a bunch of them, but I'll take some. Yeah, absolutely. I've got like 10 in my pocket. I was on it. Yeah, I saw you guys. I appreciate it. Look, I got four of them up here now. These are different colors though. Let's try it, two at a time. We're loaded up, right? Yeah, that would be odd, huh? That would be quite an interesting, exciting Sunday, huh? Preacher starts choking on his cough drops. Be awesome. Guys, would remember, and then we have a testimony built in. God saved our pastor <laughs> right in front of our eyes. <laughs> or he didn't. <laughs> Took him to heaven. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> So will we trust God to be our Lord? So this does require some things. Like this says, look, God, I'm, I'm actually taking my freedom to choose. And I'm surrendering it to you. And this is where I think sometimes as, uh, as an American that is free, right? And we have these incre incredible country, lovely, beautiful but sometimes I think as an American, we really, we really struggle to apprehend this concept well because we've never lived under a Lord as a, as a nation. So sometimes I think it's really hard to comprehend with our national identity that this is not us surrendering to a democracy where there's a vote that represents the popular whatever insights, whatever you may think about it, disregard all those political thoughts and opinions. We're not talking politics. But, but my, 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 my thing here is that can we really imagine ourselves and really we need to go through this process where we say, God, I actually surrender my entire free will to you. So I don't try and bring this free will into a Lord-servant relationship because that muddies the water. That muddies the water and then it makes it very confusing as to why we haven't become like him. It muddies the water as to why we're not living in a house of peace, but we're living in a house of chaos. But, but, but imagine this. Why, why do you sometimes experience peace and sometimes experience chaos? The, the thing to really look at is, well, sometimes you're the Lord, and sometimes the Lord of peace is not the Lord. So have you reserved the right of any kind? I reserve the right to decide this or this or that. If you've reserved the right, then you have a part of you that's in rebellion to your Lord. So I'm not moving in on the territory of your freedom. I promise you that. I'm just a person going through the same process of yielding my free will, yielding my selfish ambition to the Lord every single day. So we together collectively call ourselves into this place of harmony, which is that not my will, but his will be done. Not my form, but his form be glorified. And that I would become like him in attitude and in virtue and in character. And as we commit ourselves to this journey where the Lord is the Lord of all of our lives in sincerity, then we begin to see, whoa, we actually focus on finances differently. We focus on emotions differently. 
We focus on boundaries differently. We focus on all these things differently when they are yielded to the Lord. All of us focus on it differently, from the leader all the way down to the least leader-like person. So when we find ourselves transferred from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, this is an administrative plan that is perfect and that is beautiful and that is actually allocating resource appropriately. His grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's, it's more than you'll need, right? It's more than enough for these things. So he, in wisdom and insight, applies his grace to us. It talks about in Ephesians. So in wisdom and in insight, God is doing this administrative movement. He's got a plan that he's doing in your life, and it addresses the darkness inside of you. It addresses the sin inside of you. It addresses the flesh inside of you, and it also addresses the way you relate to other people. You guys like this? Is this exciting? Do I look like a chipmunk with two cough drops in my cheek? Can you even tell? You can't tell, can you? Come on. I'm awesome. 18, I want to bring us to Colossians 1.18. He is also the head of the body. He is the head of the body. Look, my body does some different things at different points that I don't always understand. Like, why can't it climb that thing or do that dirt bike thing, uh, right? Sometimes I don't understand. But my, for the most part, my head tells my body what to do, right? And it walks and it does its thing. So when we're really understanding this, are we locked in with God's will and mindset such that it operates equivalent to how our bodies operate in alignment with how our mind is telling it to operate? Do we have this place of synchronicity, synchronicity, synchronicity? That one, that one, we got it. It's the cough drops, guys. Steve, your cough drops are better than mine. What are those? Those are Ross. Come on, Ross. All white looking sweet. Um. <coughs> it's got us in sync such that as he thinks we move. This is a really interesting part. I, I wonder if we can imagine ourselves being at the place where Moving with God is very, very natural because we've so surrendered these volatile self-will things. We've so yielded ourselves in our process of prayer with the Lord. When people are like, I don't really know what to pray about, I'm suspicious that they're not in a journey of surrender because when it comes to me praying, most of my time is occupied on this wrestle to surrender that I have inside of me. I can spend hours praying through these things that are in my heart. God, why do I do what I don't want to do? And, God, and, and these, this subject matter is deep and it's vast and it occupies a lot of space. It affects a lot of thoughts and emotions. So when somebody's like, I don't really know what to pray about, I'm like, hey, pray about you. You know, I know it sounds selfish and you should be praying for the sick. You should be praying for the homeless. You should be praying for people that are in need. That's great and all. Get your list out and do your thing. You'll get through it real quick, 90 seconds. And then go to God, create in me a clean heart. And you'll be stuck there for a bit. You'll hit that spot and you'll be like, oh, we got some work to do. 
well, we got some work to do. And then you might feel like you got there. You're like, I got a clean heart, baby. And then you wake up the next day and you don't know what happened. You had that dream and you murdered someone in it. Or you were hateful or you had lust in your heart or something. You're like, wow, what am I doing here? I am deceitfully wicked. I am gross. I'm sinful. There is no hope for me. And you got to wrestle with that. You got to go to the Lord on that. And you got to pray to him about that. You got to talk to him about that. You got to say, your grace is sufficient, God, but why do I feel like I continue to fail? Why do I continue to feel like I trip up and I have bondage? How is that even possible? Is that possible? Hey, Tim, is it possible to have bondage as a Christian? And you begin to ask these questions, right? You begin to have this, okay, God, like I got a lot of work to do on creating me a clean heart and renew a contrite spirit. See, this is in Psalms. This is David's prayer, right? When you begin to have these prayers, your prayer life starts to flourish. And then you begin to actually pray for other people in a different way too because now you're aware if God's doing this in me, imagine he's also doing it in them and in them and in them and in them. And if he's doing it in them, then what's my role to aid that journey? And now you're kicked off into ministry. Ministry of reconciliation as it talks about in the word. A lot of people make a lot of things about ministry, right? They think about it as like volunteer roles and jobs at a church. That couldn't be a greater misrepresentation of the fullness, of the fullness of what ministry is. The essence of ministry is the ministry of reconciliation, which is that you and you and you and you and you and I are being reconciled to Christ. Ministry then is defined as all of the things that aid that journey, right? So then the roles in church begin to become aligned with under that canopy and that category, but it doesn't just stop there. When you're looking at a ministry of reconciliation, it then has the canopy to cover all of the things even outside the four walls of the church. It begins to cover the occupation of business, of entertainment, of all the things non-church related. The ministry of reconciliation has an expression across the globe in all industries, in all categories, in all places. Because if there's a living, breathing life, there's a partnership for that living, breathing life to be greater reconciled to Jesus. Maybe it's just your family. Maybe it's just a few kiddos or four kiddos, you know. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your auntie, your uncle. The question to ask then is not how they can be in alignment with you, how they can get along with you, but how they can be greater reconciled to Christ and how you as well can be greater reconciled to Christ. Once we get our minds on this place of administration, then we understand the core values. We understand the core competency of this thing. It's actually an effort. It's a plan for us to become like Christ and thus, as a consequence, be more connected to one another, be more unified towards one another. Because that's what this is, right? This administration suitable to the fullness of time that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. It, this unity effect, and, and then another translation is planned for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Unity, I dare say, is impossible if you exclude a transformation journey with Jesus. Tribalism, fractures, divisions, these are inherently a part 
of a people that are not yielded to a transformation journey with Jesus. So if this community fails to uh, yield itself to a transformation journey with Jesus, this community will succeed in being divisioned or divided, I should say. It will succeed in being fractured. It will succeed in being tribal. It'll, it'll succeed in being clicky. And isn't this the great accusation that people have of church? I tried to go, but there's just all these fractions and factions and divisions, and there's these groups, and sometimes they're racial, sometimes they're, they're history, sometimes they're uh, ethnic, sometimes they're other things, but uh, sometimes they're financial. Like you can see like the rich people all get along, but you know, if you're poor, then good luck, my friend. <laughs> he witnesses with that. <laughs> so I don't know what it is that you perceive as being division or divisional in a space, but I can tell you right now that that is a result of an unyielded people. That is a result uh, of an unyielded people to the nature of Jesus, which is transformative. Jesus transforms. So you might ask yourself, well, how do I get to this place? Well, uh, you, you, you really got to understand this. Allow Jesus to transfer you to his house. While you're living in it, allow yourself and even require it of yourself. Make it a pursuit. Create in me a clean heart. What does that process look like? It looks like us surrendering ideas we have that are unclean. things in our heart that are unclean. So when you're living in God's house, you might start yelling at your heavenly father like you might have yelled at your, your earthly father at some point. You might start rebelling against whatever he's saying or doing. You might see rebellion in your heart. Be honest with yourself. Recognize that you're living in the household of God and, and then take those things and surrender them to him. There's been a lot of things I found on my journey that are impure, that were in my heart and in my mind. And when I first got saved, I went on a Nazarite vow. I grew up my beard and hair. Uh, consecration and separation, these were core values, a part of that journey. And yet still, 35 years old, 15 years later, I'm still finding things inside of me that I go, that's impure. That's impure. That's been there too the whole time. It's been hiding. <laughs> under the surface, you know, but as I'm digging down with the Lord and deep calls unto deep and we're going deep, 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 you're like, what is this nasty rock that I found on my journey? I know some people get discouraged about this, right? They're like, man, I was doing so good with Jesus and it was just perfect. I was crushing it. And then all of a sudden, I find some nastiness inside of me, some ugliness, do not believe the enemy's lie that says the best thing to do now is hide. Let's confront that one right now. The notion to hide is the same one Adam and Eve had when they first sinned. And they hear God walking and they're like, we should hide. Don't separate yourself from the one who can liberate you from the sins you just committed very natural. You're like, whoa, I have been caught. I did a bad thing. Let me hide and cover myself. So let's not believe that lie. Um, this is an administration change. This is critical that we submit ourselves 
to the Lord, to the Lord of our life. Um, you may be succeeding in it and just in a process of that Lord transforming you, changing you, and that's beautiful. That's amazing. That's awesome. You may not have yielded yourself to the Lord in this capacity. So I want to pray with you as we finish. Can you close your eyes and bow your heads? It's pretty simple, the first thing here. And you might think of it as like a salvation call, but it's, it's really, really simple. It, it can be somebody's first time accepting Jesus, but this could also be you just recognizing you aren't actually submitted to God as your Lord. And that's the first thing I want to ask you is do you want to make Jesus your Lord? Do you want to move into the house of God and have him move into your heart as well? John 15 says, abide in me and I in you. So really simply today, everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, except maybe a couple of leaders. I just want to ask you, if you want to make Jesus your Lord, I just want you to raise your hand. And the reason I want a couple of leaders' eyes just open to see is we love to partner. We love to partner. And so if a couple of leaders, if there are any hands up, if they could just kind of take a look and see, take a gander. And we want to partner well, right? We want to love you well. And, and sometimes it's a little bit misleading. Like you don't actually need to pray for with someone to give your life to Jesus. That's oftentimes an assumed thing there, right? But it's actually really interesting. You don't actually need another person in order for you to give your life to Jesus. This is a really exciting aspect of God. He can access us and we can access him without somebody else's aid like a priest. It can be really helpful at times. So if you raised your hand, I, I want to pray as a full family today. And there's elements inside of me where I can recognize like, wow, it's been an amazing journey so far, but I see things that I need to yield to God. I see self things that I need to yield to God. Self-reliance, self-ambition things. So this is our prayer as a family today is, is, and if you could all pray it with me, Jesus, I submit everything. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.